Welcome back to Tales of Southwest Michigan's Past. This is Michael Delaware. I am your host. And today I'm going to explore some of the history of cigar manufacturing and the cigar industry in Southwest Michigan. And I've got a few examples of stories from Kalamazoo as well as Battle Creek, Michigan. I even have a few tales of Grand Rapids, so come along and join me. We're going to explore this fascinating industry. So, cigar manufacturing in Kalamazoo wasn't as significant as as other major industries that the city had, like the salary production or paper manufacturing, but it had a colorful contribution. And it did make an impact on the local economy for about 20 years in the history of Kalamazoo, uh, beginning around the turn of the century. A lot of the activities of cigar manufacturing in southwest Michigan, the peak years were anywhere from the 1870s all the way through about the early 1910, 1915. And in Kalamazoo, it was roughly the late 1800s through uh, the 1910s in the city. And the local industry in Kalamazoo saw a rise and fall of the industry, which was closely tied to the labor dynamics of the city. As the cigar industry grew after the Civil War, many labor unions were formed by workers to address the hours they were working, the working conditions, and also the wages. And so overall, the unions had success in their negotiations with the company brass, and they did gain some results in cigar workers making above average wages. By 1885, some 500 men belonged to the cigar union in Kalamazoo, and there were about eight factories turning out cigars at the rate of about 400 per man per day. So that's a lot of cigars. Uh, In 1889, the Cigar Makers Union which was the Cigar Makers Local 208 Union, organized the first Labor Day parade in Kalamazoo. In fact, the Kalamazoo Gazette in 1921 wrote that one of the first trade unions formed in Kalamazoo was organized by the cigar makers. It was back in 1883 that the organization first came to life, and for many years it was the largest and most influential body-affiliated with the Trades and Labor Council. The Cigar Makers International Union of American Workers was organized during the year 1864 for the purpose of bettering the working conditions of those employed in the craft of cigar making. And that was nationwide, and I suppose because they had international in their name, had uh, foreign countries as well that were involved in that union. The goal was to increase the wage of the workers to such a standard that would maintain for them and those dependent on their labor the American principle of living. And this was from a quote by Felix Gallagher, who was a cigar manufacturer in Kalamazoo, and he was talking about the early formation of the union. Now, if you look at a lot of old photos of downtowns from the 1800s in many towns around southwest Michigan and look closely at the signs in the windows or the signs that were on the names of the shops, and there are frequently cigar shops. 
In fact, in Battle Creek, when I've studied a lot of the photos from different eras, there have been as many as a dozen to 20 different cigar manufacturing shops that existed in Battle Creek in the downtown area during its history from different time periods and different blocks that they were operating off of. Uh, There's one story that I did a podcast episode and also a YouTube video, and that was the story of Ambrose Minty and his cigar factory. And what was unique about that one is their building fell into the mill race, and his business had been established sometime after 1871, and he became sole owner of the company around 1875. And he purchased a building on Main Street on his own, and that building was built on a platform over the mill race. And one day, I believe it was 1899, on Memorial Day weekend, it collapsed into the mill race. But he would rebuild that cigar factory and reestablish the company on a different location, then eventually rebuild his building back on the old location. And he held on to that until about 1925, and then he sold it to somebody else. So in Battle Creek, the cigar manufacturing company was still in existence until around 1925. There are other stories of other cigar companies in Battle Creek, and I've noticed the cigar companies in photographs of shop windows in a lot of the old uh, downtown photographs of uh, anything taken between around 1860, like post-Civil War, all the way up until about 1925. Um, And you'll find that in uh, Grand Rapids, uh, photos of buildings in Hastings, photos of buildings in St. Joseph, and even in smaller towns like Constantine and other places, they had cigar factories or cigar shops that sold cigars. Cigar smoking was a pretty big cultural thing during that time period. It was was considered a golden age between about 1880 to 1915 in the United States as the era of cigar smoke. And cigar workers were highly skilled. They were often taught their trade through apprenticeships. And there were several classes of workers that connected to their role in the production process. And some of the names of the different roles that they held were strippers, selectors, bunchers, rollers, packers, and banders. Wages were largely determined by a worker's skill set in addition to speed-based incentives. By the 1900s, the once mostly male-dominated profession had begun to shift towards hiring young women to work in the manufacturing of cigars. And there's some great photographs on the Kalamazoo Library's history site that shows some photos from 1910 in an employee workroom of a cigar manufacturing company. And there's a few women in there uh, working alongside the men in that factory. Now let's return back to Kalamazoo. The two largest companies in Kalamazoo in the year 1908 were Lillian Field, which was also called Lilies, and Verdon. And they both departed from Kalamazoo in 1908 and 1909 in order to relocate their production facilities to larger cities like Detroit where they could take advantage of less expensive labor pools, namely women and newly arrived immigrants from Germany and Poland. Before leaving for Detroit in the winter of 1908, 
Lillian Field and the local 208 union clashed over pay and newly instituted mandates regarding worker efficiency. A contentious strike ensued, and after the two parties failed to agree, Lillian Field just left Kalamazoo. They pulled up stakes and moved to Detroit. Its departure led to many workers either heading with the company to Detroit or seeking work in other cities or learning the skills of another trade entirely. So as I mentioned before, there were some 500 members of that cigar union during that time period. So that's a lot of people employed in a particular industry for that time period. But while Lillian Field and Verdon provided the community with the most jobs, there were many smaller firms that were continued after the defections from the Kalamazoo area of the big two companies, many of which were formed by ex-employees of these two companies. And those companies were the Bell Cigar Company, which was at uh, 113 South Burdick Street. There was also the Benjamin Cleanerwick Company, which was also on Burdick Street. There was the W.F. Cropsey Company, the Elias Goldberg, the C.H. Holt Company, the Max Salmon Company, the Carl Aiken. There was B&B Cigar Manufacturers. There was Felix Gallagher. And there was Edwin Lawn and another company, F.E. McLannan. And during the years between 1924 and 1934, the number of cigar manufacturers in town dropped to only two. The last of the local cigar makers was John Vander Weel, who began his business with his brother Anthony in 1909. And Vanderweel finally called it quits in 1968. Vanderweel's shop was located at uh, 1211 North Westnedge. So the cigar boxes were wooden boxes, and if you probably remember some of them looking quite ornate, they often had photos of women on them or artwork of women as part of the brand or motif of a company. Um, I can recall several different uh, designs with cigar boxes, and you can still buy them at flea markets and that sort of thing and get a lot of uh, vintage boxes and the cigar industry still uses wooden boxes for cigars. But during that time period, you know, a lot of women were used as part of the company motif and the names of some of the cigars were quite colorful. Some of the ones that came out of manufacturers in Kalamazoo included the Charles Darwin cigar, the Miss Kazoo, the United States Senator, the Winner, the La Cora, the Little Dukes, the Laverto, the Wolverine Girl, the Sunny Jim, and the Little Beauties. And those are just a few of the names of some of the uh, cigar brands that were produced and manufactured in Kalamazoo. So when was the first cigar factory ever opened in Michigan, you might ask? Well, in 1841, George Miller opened the first cigar factory on Woodward Street, south of Jefferson, over in Detroit. Uh, within the next few decades, thousands of Detroit men and later women made their living stemming, stripping, and bunching tobacco, and rolling the seed in Havanas, five-cent cigars, and stogies. And this was information provided by Wayne State University. So that was in 1841. 
Now, around the United States, one of the cities that was coined as the cigar manufacturing city in the world was Ybor City down in Florida, and that's kind of in the Tampa area. And it was founded in 1886 by Vincent Martinez Ybor, and Ybor City became the cigar capital of the world by 1900 because of their extreme number of cigar manufacturing buildings they had there and the level of production and the a volume of cigar manufacturing that was occurring coming out of Ybor City. So that's kind of an interesting story that kind of steps outside of Michigan, but that's just part of the history and gives you a snapshot on the national industry of cigar manufacturing across the country. But Ybor City was more later on the timeline than a lot of the other smaller companies that were established around the United States in earlier years. So basically, at the turn of the century, cigar smoking became a popular activity, and it was something that even in the early 1900s, Grand Rapids was actually a center for cigar production. There were actually 37 cigar manufacturers in the city, including G.J. Johnson Company, producer of the most famous cigar brands, Dutch Masters, and the lesser-known cigar brand, El Portena. And then in 1907, there was an article in the Grand Rapids Herald that claimed that smokers in the city consumed 40,000 cigars daily, which was considered a conservative estimate. City smokers were spending $2,000 a day on cigars. And they compared that to the 1800 spent daily on milk. So they were spending more on cigars daily in that city than there was money being spent on milk, which is kind of interesting. Now, tobacco sellers noted that the number of cigarette smokers had declined. Probably 20% of the city's tobacco-consuming citizens smoked cigarettes. They were not as popular in the Midwest and in the South and the East. The cigar led in popularity by a large percentage in Michigan. And pipes were next in favor to the cigar over cigarettes. And they were gaining due to the number of well pipes, an invention that gave a much drier smoke than the old-fashioned kind. And they were rapidly becoming a favorite among tender-tongued smokers, as they called them, who found cigars too expensive and the old-style pipe too beastly strong. So these uh, well pipes were gaining a lot of popularity. I can remember my own father being a avid smoker of the well pipe and growing up, and he always had his raw tobacco that he would buy in pouches and sit there and smoke his pipe in the evenings. Uh, good fond memory. So tobacco has a long-established industry in the country. Uh, chewing tobacco sales were also declining during that period. Use of it was primarily by recent immigrants. The golden age of cigar history is considered to be between 1878 to 1915, um, based on the cigar history museums. And there's a lot to the industry. There's a lot more that I could possibly get into in a single podcast. There's also the stamps that were issued by the U.S. government. There was uh, legislation allowing them to pack them in boxes that came into play in 1879. 
And then there was import stamps on cigars that same year. And then there's, of course, the entire growing of tobacco and the different states that had larger crops and other. In 1879, cigar tobacco production in Pennsylvania hit 36,900,000 pounds, making Pennsylvania the largest grower of cigar tobacco and the third largest tobacco growing state, which was quite significant for the state of Pennsylvania. And then New York State added another 6,480,000 pounds to the nation's cigar tobacco crop. So that's a lot of tobacco being smoked across the country during that heyday of cigar smoking. But the history of cigar boxes, let me return to that topic for a minute. Um, The federal government in the 1800s cared more about collecting taxes than it did about regulating public morals. So their taxes were a priority. So the cigar industry would print whatever they wanted to on the cigar boxes. And the cigar industry intuitively followed the prime directive of successful marketing, give the people what they wanted. And so the number one on most men's wants list was pretty girls. So pretty girls were often the topic of the designs on the cigar boxes. And pretty girls appeared on millions of cigar boxes between 1860 to 1960. Considering how much men liked their women naked, it was also not surprising that uh, there were a few cigar manufacturers that did put some naked girls on the boxes. There weren't as many as you would expect, um, but there were cases of that. And there was a lot of nudity. There was a lot of different um, types of humor that were funny at the time, but not necessarily funny in present day. So the cigar boxes and themes tended to change with the public morals and the definition of morals tended to change over time. So what was acceptable in one era wasn't acceptable in another era. And so you see changes in the subtle artwork and the design. There's a great article on this that I found from the Cigar History website, and I'll put the link to that in the description. They've got some great pictures of some of the historic and traditional cigar boxes. And I'll give you an example of some of the morals that changed over time. There was from 1930 to 1940, there were pictures of women completely naked dancing in the much earlier years. And then by the 1940s, the morals had changed a little bit. So the same pictures were used, but the women were clothed. And so you have this change in the character of the morals that was beginning to occur. There was also a lot of uh, images of children that were naked, or you'd see them from their backside, and it was kind of cute, and that was something that was uh, publicly acceptable in the, say, 1900s. Um, But then you get moving towards the 1930s or 1940s, there's more clothing covering up the children uh, than were in some of the earlier cigar boxes. In fact, there's some interesting cigar boxes that I'm looking at here in this uh, museum collection of photos they have. And they're ones that were posted from 1904, showed little boys standing outside peeing. And there were pictures of another one where uh, one kid is standing on the dock and he's peeing on his friend who's swimming in the water as a joke. You know, and these things were acceptable pranks back in the 1900s. 
they are not um, something that was very acceptable as you move forward to the 1930s or 1940s. So those types of designs disappeared and went away. Uh, so it's just an interesting look at the changes in the industry as well as the history of the cigar industry as a whole. Another example is artwork that was depicting the African-American stereotypes of 1904 in the designs with the uh, African-American people being minstrels and singing and that sort of thing. And those were not something that was necessarily acceptable as you move towards the 1960s or so forth. So it's interesting to see the different changes in the artwork over time when you have uh, the history of an industry like the cigar industry that has such a very long history in the United States. And of course, cigar smoking goes back to Native Americans in North, Central, and South America, as they're the ones that really introduced the Europeans to the smoking of tobacco. In fact, in 1492, Columbus gave a gift of tobacco that he brought back to the Spanish royalty when he came to the New World. So those are some of the traditions that were adopted from their interaction with the Native Americans. So the history of tobacco smoking originated with the Native Americans. And then the Spain influence of tobacco growing and the manufacture of cigars began in Cuba around the 1500s. So this goes way back into the history of the world a little bit. And it's interesting to note that the cigar manufacturing was something that was done right here in Southwest Michigan during the pioneer era coming through the Civil War. And it lasted with a lot of the small companies working and making cigars until about the 1920s or 1930s. And there were even cigar manufacturing companies in Kalamazoo up until 1960s. But that's going to conclude today's journey through history, looking at some of the history of the cigar industry and cigar manufacturing in Southwest Michigan. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to leave a review on whatever app you are listening on. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can always find me at michaeldelaware.com. I'm always happy to hear from my listeners. And until next time, when we take another journey into yesterday and we explore even more fascinating stories and tales of Southwest Michigan's past. Thank you for listening. <laughs>